Welcome to day 17 of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. We've been hosting this podcast daily from the New York Film Festival this year, the 57th New York Film Festival. In a moment, we're going to hear the complete audio from this week's conversation about the film Dodsworth. And joining me on the podcast today for this final edition is festival director Kent Jones. Welcome, Kent. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. So folks are going to be able to listen to the entire yeah. uh, discussion about Dodsworth. Mm. That to me was um, not only one of the highlights of this year, but one of those kind of immediately memorable events in the many years I've been coming to this festival. It was yeah. really, really special. The movie means a lot to you. Yeah, um, Folks are going to hear the conversation, but they didn't hear your intro. So um, maybe uh, tell us a little bit about what that movie means to you and why you why you chose to show it this year. I think that, you know, when I was young, uh, it's one of the films that was programmed on television quite a bit. As you know, back in those days, you know, in the 60s, uh, a lot of programming on local New York stations like Channel 5 and Channel 11 was um, older movies, you know, 16-millimeter prints of movies that were that were transferred and um, with commercial interruptions and stuff. But, you know, I mean, that was how I saw a lot of the Warner Brothers catalog for the first time and that was certainly how I saw Dodsworth. I think that they showed a lot of the Goldwyn movies, you know. And so um, I don't remember the first time I saw it. All I know is that it's a film that I was compelled to keep watching again and again um, mm -hmm. uh, over the years and that as I became an adult it meant m more and more to me. Um, and, you know, as I started getting interested in movies... I saw that, you know, with auteurists' criticism, there was a disparagement of William Wyler, his mm -hmm. daughter, you know, Melanie made a reference to that last night. Mm -hmm. You know, some people criticize him for not having a signature. But I mean, you know, the films were something else apart from the polemics of the day. And this film in particular, in the best years of our lives, were films that just um, were deep within me, you know, the experiences of them and to see them. I watched this film and that one once a year, sometimes twice a year. Hmm. And it seems wiser to me every time I see it. And the emotional impact is goes deeper. So Dodsworth is a William Wyler film, as you mentioned, and it's from the 30s. Yep. Um, 1936. What do you think it, it what do you, how does it fit into his sort of, um, into his career? Mm -hmm. It was. It was. It wasn't certainly um, his first film. It was. He had made a few films already, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but someone was telling me last night that it sort of marked like kind of a turn for him, or 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 maybe it it brought him a kind of attention mm -hmm. that he hadn't been getting earlier in his in his career. What do you think it was about this film? Well, I mean, he started in the late silent era. Yeah, uh, he made some westerns. He made a comedy. He made an incredible. Western, an early version of the Three Godfathers story. Uh, there's a silent version and a sound version. The silent version is the one that people know now called Hell's Heroes. And um, he also made during that time uh, an interesting movie also with Walter Houston, The Storm. You know, he, I mean, he, um, it's interesting to, to think about that, what it is that set him apart. I guess what set him apart was just that he was a remarkable filmmaker with an incredible attention to detail. So, you know, that's why Billy Wilder, 
with whom he was confused sometimes, as his daughter said last night, said, you know, he's the greatest <laughs> director we have, you know. And so, you know, he was, he was, you can see the evidence of it in this film. I suppose that this film, though, there's something about it that's quite distinct. Part of it has to do with Walter Houston, who's easily one of the greatest actors, you know, I've ever seen. But part of it also has to do with the story. It's from a Sinclair Lewis novel. But the, the sophistication of the story, um, a and, and the way that it looks so closely at a disintegrating marriage between an older Midwestern man who's, you know, retiring um, from his automobile company that he's founded and run. And then, you know, his marriage to his younger wife, also from the Midwest, who really is, is trying to hold on to her youth at all costs. There's something very um, unusual about that. It's not really material that anybody else was was really dealing with and he goes so deep into it and part of it as part of the 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 deep emotion is probably you know tied to the fact that he had just come out of an extreme a really truly harrowing marriage to mm. the actress margaret sullivan um and uh before he met he met his wife uh his second wife of many years and so you know i think that um there's that but um it's it's a, a lot of different elements um, that come into play in that movie that mm-hmm. make the the experience what it is. You um, invited Kenneth Lonergan, yeah, to introduce the screening at the festival. Yeah, yeah. And as you said during the introduction, this is a movie that meant a lot to him. Well, it's a it's a movie that means a lot to a lot of people. I'm always running into people who <laughs> say, "Oh, Dodsworth." Well, that's an amazing. You know, last night I can't even remember who somebody said I watched this film once a year. You know. <laughs> Um, and so Kenny and I were talking, we did a director's dialogue after Manchester by the Sea during, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, and we got to talking about other films and he brought up Dotsworth and he said, well, it's one of the greatest films I've ever seen. It's a film I watch once a year. Mm-hmm. So when Margaret Bodie from the Film Foundation told me that it was being restored and I gasped, <laughs> I thought... Um, I'd give Kenny a call and just ask him. And he, I said, would you be interested in doing this? And he said, would I? You know, I mean, <laughs> try to stop me. Yeah. And, you know, he wanted, I asked him to do an introduction. He said, can I do the Q&A too? And he's like, no, you can't do the Q&A. <laughs> of course you can, you know, so. Um, well, as we, um, as we wrap up the daily podcast at this 57th festival, um, we're also... Uh, coming to the end of your directorship of this festival. Uh, For folks listening in, um, and you've talked about it a little bit during the festival, but you you started attending this festival as a a young man. I started looking at the ads for it as a very young man. And when it was very distant, when I grew up in the Berkshires, you'd see those New York Times ads, and those were the films that I wanted to see and sometimes got to. I started coming to the festival in 1983. Um, I I remember I saw Rumblefish and L'Argent by Bresson, which was greeted without mercy by the audience. They were yeah. truly savage. I will never forget. The, the audiences are different now. I mean, that was astonishing. Yeah. And and Class Relations by Jean-Marie Straub and Daniel Louis. And then, you know, I came pretty regularly after that. And then I came here in 1998. Richard Pena mm-hmm. um, wanted me to come aboard as a programmer, and I joined the Festival Selection Committee in 2002. Um, for folks who are listening into this podcast this week and uh, who, who aren't attending here in New York, folks listening all over the country, all over the world, um, it's something we've asked a number of people on the podcast over the past few days, but um, 
you're well equipped to answer the question. What there's so many festivals. There's so yeah. many ways that movies are screened at festivals. So many types of movies screened at festivals. What what is it that sets the New York Film Festival apart from it's, your perspective? Well, it's that it's based firmly in programming. Uh, there are no there's no marketplace. There are no awards. Um, you know, there's no competition. It's just purely um, a festival that's devoted to the art of cinema. And the only way to be truly devoted to the art of cinema is to have people who are watching and responding to the films and saying, here's what we responded to. Now we're sharing it with you. I'm not knocking awards, certainly, because, you know, I, you know, benefited enormously from showing my own film, you know, at a certain other New York festival downtown, you know, won an award or two. But it's just, you know, that's, every festival is different. The fact that this one is so completely devoted just to the celebration of the art of cinema and to sharing the art of cinema is what has always meant a lot to me um, as a viewer and then also, you know, as as the director for seven years um, and a member of the selection committee before that. But it's also, I think, what means a lot to many, many other people, filmmakers in mm-hmm. particular, um, and but audiences as well. Yeah. Kind of back to where we started with Dodsworth, I think one of the things that I... Which was, by the way, Dodsworth was shown in the New York Film Festival in, I think, 1985. Mm-hmm. I believe mm-hmm. during Richard Rowd's tenure, um, every once in a while there was an older film that was selected as part of the festival, which back in those days was just what's now known as the main slate. Um, and Alice Tully Hall, there was no Walter right. Reed Theater, um, and there was no Film Center, and so you know that was one of the films, one of the few um, revivals, um, if you will, that was part of the uh, selection. Well, one of the things that that I personally cherish when I travel to festivals, wherever, wherever I go um, these days is not only catching new films, but the opportunity to, to engage with something from the past, whether it is a restoration or something that might've been forgotten or lost. And I think that um, as we look at the last few years um, of this festival, I think that what you've been able to bring um, and connect Mm. current work and these restorations and revivals and retrospectives, it just makes for a festival that, that feels more alive looking forward and looking backward in a certain way, I think can be really not only um, valuable, but it's kind of necessary. Yeah. I mean, I don't believe in hierarchies. And so, you know, I think that the, the distinctions between films um, are arbitrary. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, every film that we show is equal from every short to, you know, The Irishman and Marriage Story and Motherless Brooklyn, you know, so it's just, um, and, and, and also that goes for older films as well. I mean, some of the, you know, in the revival section and also in the retrospective section. And, um, you know, uh, one of the greatest things that we did this year was to do the restoration of Vittorio De Seta's shorts Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that he shot in Italy in the 50s, Mm -hmm. um, which are just among the great glories of cinema. And, um, you know, alongside The Irishman, alongside Pedro Costa, on the other hand, alongside, you know, um, 
uh, Tim Robbins documentary, 45 Seconds of Laughter, mm -hmm. alongside anything in Convergence mm -hmm. or in um, Projections or in the Shorts program, you know, they're all part of the world of cinema. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a, it's a nice way to transition into this conversation we had at the festival, moderated by Kent with Kenny Lonergan, along with Catherine Weiler and Melanie Weiler mm -hmm. at Alice Tully Hall. Yeah. So let's take a listen to that complete conversation now. And Kent Jones, thank you very much. Thanks, Eugene, and thanks for being such a good colleague. Oh, thank you. Thank you. This film was a very, very personal film for your father, wasn't it? I mean, I know that it, it, was, it reflected a, you know, an unhappy first marriage that he had. Um, he, I think he wrote it at the time that he had separated from Margaret Sullivan. He, he worked on the script with Sidney Howard. Um, and uh, did he, I'm wondering if you, I, I would imagine that he didn't, like most filmmakers, sit around and watch his own movies a lot, but I'm wondering if, if you did watch this film with him or discuss it with him. No, I didn't. I, I don't think I ever watched this with him. Um, and, and, and I don't remember him talking about it that way. Yeah. I know he loved working with Walter Houston, mm. um, who was brilliant yeah. here, um, and was really happy to do that. And I actually just read what was interesting to me was, uh, you know, it was all shot on, obviously, the back lot. They didn't really have the money to go to Europe, and they sent a crew to do that. But you can... Um, my father had very specific directions about what they should shoot because he was European, what yeah. they should shoot in Paris, what they should shoot in, in Vienna. Yeah. And uh, I think that, you know, when you see those scenes, it's pretty interesting. He was born in Alsace, correct? Alsace. Yeah, yeah. And he spent time in Paris and, and Vienna. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think he did have a, a feeling, especially as a naturalized citizen yeah. of, you know, this American ideal of the upright businessman, yeah. et cetera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the, the performance that Walter Houston gives uh, is absolutely startling and gets more so every time I see it. And I must say this restoration really mm -hmm. makes all the performances, it gives them even more life than, because you can really see the eyes. I mean, you know, uh, those close-ups of, close of Mary Astor just, you know, <laughs> wrench your heart. But... Um, he he had played this role on stage for how long, Kenny? Uh, I don't know. I know it was a big hit on yeah. Broadway, and I, uh, uh, you know, in those days, probably a year, I would say, or if not more. They used yeah. to run pretty well those when they did well those shows. Yeah. Um, and you read the play, so how does it how is it, how does it differ? Well, it's different. In, I mean, it's a long time ago that I read the play. A lot of the dialogue scenes are the same or taken right out of the play. The play makes an attempt to convey some of the. Uh, different locations. It has a, there are a lot of ancillary characters. There are a lot of uh, you call them day. Play there are a lot of uh, passengers with dialogue sort of off to the side of the right. main characters. But they can't have that ending. They can't. There's a lot they can't do that the yeah. film could do. That the novel also the novel, which is really wonderful in, in its own way. Mm -hmm. uh, but it seems like it's really there's an addition of the play. It's a that Sidney Howard does, and he talk, he he introduces the the play discussing how he felt that he essentially was unable to capture the novel adequately mm -hmm. in the play uh, himself. And this is before the film was written. So I'm curious, I'd be curious to know how he felt about the film script, but uh, just 
it can't get the scope and the size of it on, yeah. on stage uh, in quite the same way. It, it tries to do it with other characters, but it doesn't work quite as well. Yeah. I have to say that the economy of uh, gestures, you know, in this film is stunning, you know, and really the emotional life between the characters is so rich. And, you know, the problem in their marriage, you can see right away when he, you know, before they leave for Europe and he kisses her on the cheek and she does that little <laughs> scrunch, you know, nose scrunch, you know, that, you know, there's there's a flaw there um, in, in the relationship. Um, uh, One thing that's interesting that it's in the book and the in the film, and I know I know just from reading about it that that Sidney Howard and, and William Wyler worked on was to give Fran every Fran's point of view every chance they could, even though she's you know technically the the bad guy in the film. You, I don't think she comes off that way. No. And in the book, it's very clear that he married her very very young, and that she's spent her whole life with this much older man. And then she's as he's starting to retire, she's starting to really want some life. And the way one thing that's so great about the film, I think, is that. There's even if they, it, it really doesn't work that marriage, and even if they were to go back together, I don't think it would work. They just want different things, and it's not it's not it's just not happening. Hmm. And I know that they tried really hard to get her, make her more sympathetic than than she might otherwise have been portrayed. Yeah, she's both she's unsympathetic and sympathetic at yeah. the same time. You really do feel her plight. Um, can you talk about the the letter that you found um, just in the back of a from Sinclair Lewis to your father? Yes, yeah. um, I was going through some boxes that we'd had in a storage uh, facility for a number of years, and I came across just fortuitously about a month ago a letter from Sinclair Lewis to my father. Basically, it obviously had been written right when the film had come out, and it was congratulating him on doing a great film. And as my sister pointed out, how many writers congratulate directors on making great <laughs> films from their books? <laughs> so that was, uh, that was really a nice thing to find. Yeah, and he makes a reference in the letter to Faye Bainter, Mm -hmm. who, who did the role of Fran on stage. And, on Broadway, right. Yeah, on Broadway. And, um, I do know that my father did not get along with Ruth Chatterton yes. at all. Did he not? Yeah. And um, yeah. there was right. many battles because um, Ruth Chatterton was also getting a little bit older mm -hmm. and um, was kind of going through the same thing that, you know, the wife was. Mm -hmm. And my father was really interested in having her play it sort of more subtly. Mm -hmm. And I guess Ruth was not interested at all. And they had a lot of <laughs> battles, apparently. Well, that, it certainly was a productive tension. Yeah. Because it really yeah. Yeah, works beautifully. If anybody, does anyone have any questions in the audience? Yeah. I think he's so th that's th your question is is well, was Walter Houston really that much older than Ruth Chatterton or is the character of Dodsworth supposed to be that much older than his? He's probably supposed to be a little older than her than Walter Houston was than Ruth Chatterton. I uh, older. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> No, Sinclair Lewis was not the author of There Will Be Blood. The novel is, the, yeah, no, that's, that's um, Upton Sinclair. And, uh. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no, I, I always do that, too. There's just Sinclairs and Sinclairs. Yeah, there's, there's too many Sinclairs. One of them should have changed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, just to be fair. I know, it's just true. I was in the Met one day, and there were these women walking through a gallery, and they said, Monet, Manet, how come one of them didn't change their name? <laughs> Ira Resnick, right there. 
This is a, a comment about what was actually going on in Mary Astor's life at the time, which was an incredibly sensational divorce trial that was based on um, the discovery of, of a diary that she kept in which she detailed the affair that, the, the, that she was having with uh, George S. Kaufman, the playwright. Um, and that was all part of the weave of the, um, of the, of the film. She, in fact, lived in a trailer on the lot mm. for I'm not sure weeks. Yeah. So because she, so she didn't have to leave and be confronted by the press. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sir, right there. In, in the event you haven't heard it, at the very end of Billy Wilder's life, he declared, "Quote: Jack Lemmon is the greatest actor, and William Wilder is the greatest director." Billy Wilder. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of uh, what you said earlier, <laughs> you know, they were always getting mixed up. Wild, and, Wilder and Wilder. Wilder yeah. and Wilder. They were always yeah. being asked for each other's autographs. And, <laughs> and, and they so were good friends. They, they, they were good friends, and so they just made a pact to always sign whatever the person, yeah. whoever they thought. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And my father, who, who was really... Uh, uh, I never thought of him as a as an egomaniac, but he did say Monet, Manet, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how many times I've been with a couple times with Martin Scorsese, and someone will come up to him and say, "Oh, Mr. Scorsese, I love your work. I love the Godfather films. Exactly. Incredible." <laughs> yes. It's a question about Mary Astor and casting her in such a sympathetic role because you're probably used to seeing her in, in roles like Bridget O'Shaughnessy in, in, in The Maltese Falcon or in Act of Violence, the character she plays in that. She played she was in a lot of movies and played a lot of different kinds of, mm -hmm. of, of characters. But um, can you talk, do you guys know I, anything I about the casting? I don't know about that. And, and I'm not sure how, I know that uh, I read that it was Goldwyn who, uh, cast Ruth Chatterton. So, how much sway my ha father had over the casting, I'm not really sure. Yeah. My father was really young when he made this. I mean, he was only yeah. 34, 33, 34 yeah. when he made this movie. Right. So, and you, anybody who noticed him playing the violin, I mean, he looks like a kid. Yeah. He was a kid. Where does this come in the film? How how many movies had he made when he made this film? I, not. Well, well, he was he got he had made these three, mm -hmm. which. Uh, was very successful, which is how uh, Goldwyn decided to use him for this. And was Dead End before this or after this? No, it was after. No, Dead was End after. was after. I think he'd, this is about 10 films in, But maybe. But yeah, he's, he'd made a few. He'd made a, I mean, he started in silence, so he made many, many silent yeah. movies before he made this. Yeah. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sir. Were there some films that Weiler really wanted to make, but he didn't get the chance to? There were... There were uh, books that he carried around with him for years. For years. <laughs> I mean, there was uh, a Pagnol story called A Birth of Love, which was about the first <clears throat> humans falling in love. But I think my father was really lucky in that he he really got to make every kind of film he wanted to make. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, he was sort of accused for a long time of not really having a signature. But on the other hand, he was able to make westerns, romantic comedies, yeah. Uh, epics, uh, a musical uh, when he was deaf, uh, you know, so yeah. it's pretty amazing. And uh, I think, you know, I appreciate it all the time when I see his films. There's I mean, it, so it, many. at this point in film history, we can drop all the stuff about him not having a signature. I mean, good, thank it. you. Please, <laughs> let's forget about that one. Um, but he also said that it kept him, it kept him challenged. Yeah. 
and it made, it made it more interesting. Did he talk about filmmaking a lot, a little at all? Like, did he talk about the camera, how he used the camera? I mean, I'm just curious. <laughs> all the time, never? You can answer that one. Well, I would say, when I was a kid anyway, the propaganda against the movie business was severe. <laughs> severe. First, and not only that, but, I mean, for women, there weren't any jobs anyway but being an actor. And that was, he would, I remember this so well. Well... There's a chance in a million that you might be successful, but probably you're sitting at home waiting for the phone to ring. Now, is that a life you want? <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and then, so that was for, for, for girls. But then just the business in general. Well, yes, I have a job, but who knows? It could be my last. Who knows if I'll ever work again? <laughs> uh, all my, look around, all my friends are out of work. So I never thought for a minute about being in this no, business. I was getting out of town and going to New York. Yeah. <laughs> well, that generation of directors didn't like to talk about movies as art. They all sneered at that idea and it was all work or fun or practical considerations. But these are, you know, great artists, as, as you know, despite their claiming and refusing to be considered anything of the kind. And just and they all complained about the business. Although he, like a lot of the others, you know, in his league. Was, had a certain amount of autonomy because he was not just great, he was also successful and they, the studio would more or less leave him alone. Um, but I'm just curious if at, at home he, my parents are psychiatrists, everyone asked me if they <laughs> psychoanalyzed us as kids, and I'm just curious if he talked about movie making apart from the business side and how rotten it was. Uh, I'm the craft sure, of it. it yeah, just yeah. anything, in, you know, about well, how he approached yeah, it. Yeah, when, I would say that when my father was working, dinner was always about, well, we only saw him when he was working. We saw him in pre-production and post-production. Pre-production was always about the scripts and what the problems were and the characters and the plots mm -hmm. and all of that. And post-production was editing. And so uh, when, he was, when he was in production, we never, we never saw, saw him, him at all. <laughs> but there was a lot of time when, and he always listened to what we had to say. We always read the scripts and talked about what we thought. And, uh, you know, he listened. That was about the end of it, but still. <laughs> um, I think we're just about out of time, but uh, I just... It's so great to see so many of you here coming to see this film, which is one yeah, of the greatest films also. we're showing thank in the you. festival. Thank you, Catherine, Melanie, and Kenny. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Film at Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City and supported by individuals just like you. For 50 years, we've been dedicated to supporting the art and elevating the craft of cinema and enriching film culture through the programming of festivals, series, retrospectives, and new releases. The publication of Film Comment, the presentation of podcasts, talks, and special events, the creation and implementation of artist initiatives, and our film and education curriculum and screenings. To learn more about what we do and support Film at Lincoln Center by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org. That's F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org.